Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened. Hello. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm meek and lowly in heart. And you will find rest unto your soul, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And when I hear those words and I think about the invitation that we're celebrating in this Christmas season. Fourth Sunday of Advent, by the way, can you believe it? I mean, ready or not, this is it. It's here. It's here. It's, uh, it's going to happen. Before next Sunday, it will, it will have all come about. Thankfully for you, there's another whole series of services between now and then. <laughs> Christmas Eve celebration. But I wonder how many of us, as we celebrate, if that's really what emotionally is happening to us. I feel rest unto... When I think of my spiritual connection to God, I feel rest unto my soul. That's the nature of it. And I see this displayed in the life of Christ, who, who constantly needs to get away with the Father. Constantly needs that space, constantly needs to go there because he finds rest unto his soul. And so I assume if Jesus needs to find rest unto his soul, it might be good for me. But I'm not sure I look forward to getting away with the, that would be, and I would put that on my to-do list. I'd have to put a reminder in my phone to remember to get away. To find rest unto my soul. Just me? That's the worst part of preaching, is that I stand up here and spill my guts, and you're all out there like, wow, that guy's got issues. Whoa. And so something must be off. Something must not be quite what I hoped. So I want you to use your imaginations this morning, and we'll see how that goes. And so if you're joining us online, it's easier at home to use your imagination sometimes. But uh, So I want you to think about this. I want you to think about the fact that a few weeks ago we talked about life over God, and we talked about the Pharisees. The Pharisees had developed a system, and the system was so efficient that they didn't really need God. So efficient was the system and the system they were working that when God showed up in human flesh, they didn't recognize him. And when they thought they might recognize him, they needed to get rid of him because he was going to mess up the system they were working. I'm glad we're not like that anymore. (laughs) And then, while that's how the Pharisees related to the world, that is not how the rank and file of Judaism related to the world. Instead, they lived at a very different place. They lived life under God. They were afraid. They needed to appease God. They wanted to make God happy. They wanted to do the right things so the right things would result. They were far less concerned about being with God than they were about making sure God had everything he needed so that they could get blessed. And if they couldn't get blessed, at least they didn't get cursed. 
I'm so glad we don't think like that anymore. So if you stop for a minute, use your imagination, what you think about this. Imagine for a minute that you're part of a Hindu home. I'm giving you time to catch up. Done this sermon once and, you know, first time through, people were like this. <laughs> Traditional Hindu home, it's wedding time. Somebody in the family is getting married. You wake up to the sound of singing and celebration inside the house. It's not the normal kind of singing and celebration that goes on typically inside of a house. It's definitely something going on that's unusual. And as you wake up and open your bedroom door, you look out and you see a very, very strange sight. There's actually a parade going on through the house. And the parade that's going on through the house is led by the patriarch of the home. Your dad or your granddad, whoever it might be. And, and, and as he parades around the house, he has a silver bowl on his head. No, he's not drunk. <laughs> Inside the bowl is water. Inside the water are flowers. And there's also a coconut. And the coconut has been set aflame. You got it? Is there, are your imaginations working? By the way, this is a true story that I'm telling you. And so there's the patriarch of the home dancing around the house with a silver bowl of water and flowers and flaming coconut going around and following along is an entourage of what appears to be women singing and dancing along with him. But upon closer inspection, you realize they are not women. They are eunuchs thought in the Hindu religion to be genderless people, holy, closer to the image of God. And they're parading around the house and it becomes apparent that they're going to make their way to every room in the house. And so they do. They come right into your bedroom and dance and sing and do all the things they're doing, and then they make their way through every room in the house. And then as you follow along in the parade, they exit the house, and they go into the front yard, and the patriarch goes with them. And then a negotiation begins to take place. And you can tell that it's a heated discussion between the leader of the dancing troupe and the patriarch of the home. And obviously, they're trying to settle on a price. And you step a little closer so you can overhear the conversation. And it goes something like this. Listen, the blessing costs money. We don't do this for free. You want the blessing on your home. You want the blessing on this upcoming marriage. You want the blessing. And here's how much it costs. That's too much. I can't pay that kind of price for this blessing. You're extorting money from me. I just can't pay that kind of money for the blessing. Well, then we could do it this way. If you refuse to pay the money, we'll withdraw the blessing and we'll put a curse on your house and a curse on your children and a curse on the upcoming marriage. How would you like that? I'll pay you whatever you want. Jathani in his book relates this story. He went home and experienced this very thing. And as he said, and he thought about what happened, he said, you know, a lot of ancient religions are built like this. Where you got to pay for the blessing and if you can't get the blessing, you at least don't want the curse. And sometimes we'll pay more to not be cursed than we will to be blessed. And then when you stop and you think, how often in our Christian faith do we experience this mentality? Where I've got to somehow appease God so he'll give me a blessing. And I, at the very least, I don't want to do anything wrong. And there's a very simplistic idea. If we do right, God blesses us. And if we don't do right, he punishes us and then when Jesus stands and says come to me all you who are weary bur heavy burdened and weary and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me 
we, we, we don't find rest in that mentality. We don't find affirmation. We, we don't find warmth. We don't find connection to God. And we wonder what happens. I'll be honest, I, I was kind of raised in a life under God mentality. It was a very simple system. Do the right things and God blesses you. Don't do the right things and bad things happen. It was a very simple idea. And I don't know what kind of sins I committed at six and seven and eight years old. But I do remember being worried about it. Anybody else remember? That somehow, even at that age, I'd already gotten the impression that, man, I, I better get it right. I don't want God mad at me. I don't want God upset. I don't know that I ever, as a child, and it felt close to Jesus, you know. Jesus seemed safer to me. God was scary. And I think sometimes as we live in this space where we take up a posture of life under God, it becomes difficult for us to experience the joy. So the Jewish system was fairly simple. And it dates all the way back into the Old Testament. Do what God wants and he blesses you. Don't do what he wants and he curses you. By the time the New Testament rolls around, the dominant mentality in Judaism is this life under God, where people live under this burden. In fact, Jesus is very articulate. Because this is the dominating mentality, Jesus probably speaks more to this mentality than to any other mentality or postures that we've talked about in this little series. And so this idea, this idea that Jesus steps into the space and And he begins to identify and he begins to speak to the people about a loving father who so loved the world that he sent his son. He begins to talk about what grace is like and forgiveness is like and how even when we are faithless, still he is faithful. And how we step into this space and we find a whole different kind of relationship with God. And it's not as simple and it's not as neat and it's not as clean. Jethani in his book writes these words, As one might expect, the life under God posture dominated Jewish culture 2,000 years ago. The popular belief about God followed a simple formula. God blessed the righteous, and he cursed the unrighteous. Obey his commands, it was taught, and one could avoid disease, accumulate wealth, and find favor with God and men. The equation worked just as well in reverse. Those with material things were seen as righteous, and those who suffered did so, because they were sinners. So life under God, it, it carries with it sort of a, a, a few things. Number one, it carries with it guilt. We, we walk around in this state in which we're always trying to figure out what we're getting right with. By the way, before we go any further, anybody relating to what we're talking about? No. Anybody feeling at any point that sometimes, you know, we've, we've been infused with some ideas about God, and we know when we step beside him, we go, eh, I, don't, I don't think that's really how it works. I don't think it's how it's supposed to work, but I feel the emotions inside me. I feel what's happening inside me. And I want to step into some different space. Not only is it a a system of believing and walking and living in which guilt becomes such a big factor, but it's also a space in which hypocrisy becomes a big factor. Because if, if the mentality is that everything's about outcomes, and I know we don't do this, but... Some people used to look at other people's lives and go, they have it together. Look how well they're doing. Look how God's blessing them. Clearly, they're getting it right because their lives are being blessed. Oh, and look at these folks. I don't know what they did. 
but they're a mess. I'm so glad we don't do that anymore. <laughs> Judge people by outcomes in their life. Remember, part of the reason we're having this conversation is because sometimes what is taught in Christianity doesn't get to be lived out. I love the way Jathani says that we are inoculating whole generations to the hope of Christianity because we're teaching things that aren't true. They're not true. And so hypocrisy becomes a factor in this life under God mentality in this walk. Just so you know, when Jesus speaks those words, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, he's speaking them in a context. You can go look it up. And what he's describing is he's talking about the fact that what the Pharisees have done to the rank and file of the Jewish people is they've loaded them down with a burden. And what Jesus calls that burden is a yoke. They've placed this yoke on you to weigh you down. You're living under all of this ritual and all of the, In fact, it is this process that is driving all of Judaism. So if you stop for a minute and you think about Jewish ritual and you think about how it works and you think about temple worship, it's all driven in this life under God mentality. You've got to get it right. You've got to do the ritual. You've got to say the right thing and do the right thing at the right time in order for God to bless your Life. At the very least, you've got to get it all right so he doesn't curse your life. And so if you ever wonder <coughs> why people lived in such a way, it's this deep fear. So the sacrificial system, by the time Jesus comes along, has been corrupted. So you know how the sacrificial system works. Everybody with me? You know how the sacrificial system works. If you sin, you had to go. You looked it up. Ah, this is what I did. I'm going to have to sacrifice a pigeon or a dove or a, you know... And so, yeah, a white lamb. And so the rule was that the animal had to be perfect. Couldn't be sacrificed if it wasn't perfect. And so the farmer would go and, you know, find a perfect animal and take it over to the temple. And the priest would go, nope, that one's not perfect. But in the back, we have some perfect animals. They're pre-approved. Now, there are four times... They cost four times what they should cost. But if you want to get right with God, if you want to appease God, then you're going to need to pay to get a pre-approved, perfect, sacrificial animal. In, in the worst corruption in the temple, then that animal would be brought to the priest. The priest would carry it into the temple, hand it out the back door. It would be taken back and resold, and no sacrifice would ever take place. And why did this corruption exist? <laughs> because people needed to appease God. So then Jesus comes along. And he stands in the midst. They're having a conversation about the yoke of the Pharisees. And he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I'm meek and lowly in heart. And you'll find rest until your soul because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And you don't have to live that way anymore. You don't have to act like that or think like that or be under that sort of impression anymore. I want you to bear the fruits of righteousness. This is how that works. If you abide in me and I abide in you, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I'm not asking you to go bear a bunch of fruit so you can come to me and appease me. I'm asking you to be connected to me and love me and let me love you in such a way that the natural outgrowth of your life are these fruits of righteousness. That's what I'm asking. That's what I'm inviting you to. I'm asking you to abide. Here's what your job is. Abide. Abide, abide, abide. Now, if we just stopped right there and we said, how often is that what we're doing? How often am I praying about what I did and the forgiveness or the insight or what I need or what I'm hoping for 
or what needs to happen. Or sometimes, you know, when we live life under God, we believe that our whole job is to figure out what appeases God. And then we're not only to give it ourselves, we're to require it in everyone else. Because if we don't appease God, we can't get the blessing. And yet, we're to please God because we're living in relationship with him. How often am I just quiet in his presence? I don't really have an agenda. I just need to be connected. I'm just abiding in you so that my life bears fruit. It just bears fruit. It matters. Because of the dominating mentality, then Jesus addresses this. Here's three little vignettes in which we see Jesus teaching directly about this issue. John 9, 1. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Directly into a context, I said, this man's blind, therefore... Something happened, something went wrong. He did something wrong or his parents did something wrong because look at the result. You don't get blind for no reason. You get blind because you displeased God and he cursed you. And so who sinned? Because that, what they're asking is not if this mentality is mixed up. What they're asking is somebody sinned, but we're not sure how the generational curse works. <laughs> we're not sure if it was the parents or the son that did the cursing and so we don't know where it came from. Can you clear it up for us? And Jesus says, it's neither one. This, this happened so that God's grace might be... This didn't happen... This happened so that the grace of God could be manifest on this life right now in this moment. So that he could experience the faithfulness of God and the miracle of the love of God and the compassion of God and the grace that in this moment opens the eyes of the blind. And we know this is a special occasion. <laughs> this man was born blind. If you went blind, you could, you could get that reverse. But if you were born blind, that was so systemically broken, that was so systemically cursed, that you couldn't undo that. Except Jesus did. Except he did. That his grace would be manifest in that moment. Second story, Luke 18, 24. Jesus looked at him. And he said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? And Jesus replied, what's impossible with man is possible with God. So in the story and how the story is told by the different gospel writers, some of them say he's a rich young ruler. In this particular account, we didn't know that he's rich. And he comes and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, how do you read it? Well, I'm supposed to keep all the rules and obey all the commandments. Yes, do this and you'll be saved. And he says, I've done this since my youth. <laughs> That's confidence. I've kept all the rules. I didn't break any of the laws. I've done it all. I've been perfect in my performance. And, you know, the crowd is looking and going, yeah, obviously you've done it. Obviously you've done well. Obviously. One thing you lack... Go sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and then you'll enjoy eternal life. And the man went away sad because he had great wealth. And then Jesus turned to the crowd and says, it's very hard for the rich to get into heaven. Now, you do understand that when he utters these words, their minds are blown. Their spiritual equilibrium has been torn apart. 
Because their understanding is the blind man is cursed and the rich man is blessed. How do you know who's doing well and pleasing God? Blindness is not a good sign. Wealth is proof that God is blessing you. The mentality in the first century was if you were wealthy, it was because you had gotten it right and God was blessing you. So for Jesus to look at the rich man and say, it's more difficult for the rich to get into heaven than for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle, they, they, their whole system of understanding what God was about has been destroyed. They don't understand it. And so what are the question do they ask? Who then can be saved? Well, with man, it's impossible. Do you get the significance? With human beings, it's impossible. You cannot do enough. But with God, it's not. Because God gives you grace. God gives you grace. He 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 gives you grace. And that's good news. That is good news. The third vignette turns its attention to the Pharisees. Matthew 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees. First clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law, Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs. You look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside you're full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. So Jesus is simply saying, you who get it all right, you who by profession have decided to get all the rules right, to appease God, to observe all of the ritual, to keep every minute piece of the law Inside, you're not okay. All of that does not get you to where you need to be in this space with God. I wonder if for this morning as we enter into this Christmas season and we talk about the beauty and the power of God with us, that he's so loved that he sent his son. How many of us rest in that? That God so loved me that he reached to find me, that I was the lost sheep. And even if 99 were safe, he, he leaves the 99 and he goes in search of the one. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't die because I got it all right or I figured it all out or I somehow... And here's the kind of thing that's weird. In life under God, we, we have a tendency to start to think that if we do it all right, then God owes us something. Now, I know none of us nice people think like that. But if I'm honest and I have the microphone, <laughs> I do find myself thinking this. When I've gone through a season in my life where I feel like I've been on, like, you know, I've done better. I've prayed a lot, and I've been in the Word, and I do feel better connected to God. Like He likes me better, like He's going to hear my prayers better. And I do find the opposite emotion to be true. When I'm struggling, I wonder if God really wants to hear from me at all. I, I'm not saying I'm right. I just feel those emotions in me. <laughs> I just recognize them and go, I'm pretty sure God loves me the same all the time but I emotionally feel disconnected when I don't feel like I'm getting it all right. And I'm not sure I am living in and celebrating the grace of God as he desires. Stephen Johnson 
was a wide receiver for the Buffalo Bills. November 28, 2010, the Buffalo Bills were playing the Pittsburgh Steelers. Bills were having a, another rough season, 2-8. and eight. They believed they were better than their record. They had won their previous two games. The four games before that, they'd only lost by a field goal. They were feeling like to beat the Pittsburgh Steelers would really turn their season around. Pittsburgh, in the meantime, 8-2, and two, leading their division again. Halftime, the Bills were down 13-0, came out after the half and fought their way back, and in the closing seconds kicked a field goal to tie the game and send it into overtime. They won the toss, received the kickoff. They were driving down the field. About the fourth play of the drive, Steven Johnson, the number one receiver for the Bills at the time, broke behind the defense and broke open. Ryan Fitzpatrick, who was playing quarterback that day, spotted him and lofted a perfect pass into his hands. The sure-handed Johnson dropped the ball. Two plays later, they punted. Pittsburgh took the ball and drove down and kicked the winning field goal. In the post-game interview, (laughs) you can always tell when there's a Steeler fan in the crowd. Post-game interview, this is what Johnson said. I had the game in my hands and I dropped it. Humbled. Humbled. I'll never get over it. After the game was over, he went to Twitter. And these are the words he posted. I praise you 24-7. And this is how you do me. You expect me to learn from this? How? I will never forget this, not ever. See, I I know we talk about this stuff and we go, well, I don't think practically, and yet there is a mentality that says, why did you do this to me? Why did you let this happen? Why did you let this person, why did you let me drop the football? Why, why, why? I do my part. Are you not doing your part? What's going on? The fact is, we know this. We know that in this world, you will have trouble. We know that in this world, things happen. We know people get sick. We know they die. We know that inexplicable things happen that are unrelated to how we're living and what we're doing. We know that however good we are, that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. And when we teach and practice a mentality about our faith that somehow if we get it all right, then we obligate God to give us blessings. The fact is what God said is this is a broken place in which we live. But I'll go with you. I will never leave you. You may face unbelievable difficulty and trials in your life, but I will not leave you. And, and, and in some ultimate sense, when you breathe your last breath, I'll be there. I'll take you and carry you and hold you. And in a few short years, you'll be together again. You'll be reunited. Even death will lose its sting because that's who I am. That's how I love you. That's what it's about. When you come to me, when you bow before me, when you confess your sins, here's my response to you. You're forgiven, you're forgiven, you're forgiven, you're forgiven. I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. I messed up again. I still love you. (laughs) How about this? I'll forgive you again. How about that? How about that? How about you think of me as your loving father? And how about you follow my advice because you believe I'm right? Not because you're trying to appease me, but because you believe I have your best interest at heart. 
How about you believe that these words are a love letter? I'm not trying to obligate you or limit you or shrink your life. What I'm trying to do is give you a life in which you find rest unto your soul. Because my yoke is easy. And you can be yoked up with a lot of other stuff in this world. You can be yoked up with a lot of stuff. Listen, I don't know about you. But this mentality of life under God forces me to understand everything. Because if I don't understand everything, how am I ever going to live and please God? I'm going to give you three redemptive words. I re- I'm going to give you four redemptive words. <laughs> hey, not everybody's good at math. It's, it's kind of over now, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, there's no way this is going to live up to all of that mess. All right, four redemptive words. I really don't know. I really don't know. I really don't know. I really don't know. Of all the pressure I feel as a pastor, you can't believe what a deal breaker those four words are with some people. What? You're supposed to know. I got, I got an article this week. Somebody sent me an article. Pastor, what do you think about this? I think I'd never read this article. <laughs> Number one, I think I'd never read that article. But once I read it, here's what I think. I really don't know. I really don't know. It could be a, that could be something, but it might not be something, and I really don't know. I really don't know. Here's what I know. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. And what I desire and what I want and what I'm longing for is to live in relationship with him. I'm, I'm longing to be rightly connected so that the fruit of my life grows the fruits of righteousness. That's what I long for. Not to know everything and understand everything and make a proclamation about everything and condemn the things that I don't understand. Because I'll be honest with you, I don't know who's telling the truth and who's not. But I'm astonished at how angry we are with each other. This is how they'll know you're a follower of Jesus Christ, by your love. By your love. And what I want is I want God to smite all the people who are messed up. (laughs) And I try to think about those Pharisees who had the system working and they knew who was right and they knew who was wrong and they had all the people living under God appeasing, doing everything they could to get in right relationship with God and I think about how Jesus acted out here he is constantly showing up with the wrong people constantly hanging out with them and then when they protest he says things like this I didn't come to take care of the well I came to take care of the sick why? Because you are so yoked up, not in a good way, that you wouldn't know the grace of God. You wouldn't even know the Son of God if he stood right in front of you. But these folks receive the grace of God as a gift because they know they're a mess and they don't deserve it. And when the Son of God sits at a table and eats with them, they feel pleasure. Do we? 
Do we? Do we feel joy and celebration as we enter into this week? God with us. God with us. I don't have to live under anymore. I'm invited into this place of connection. I'll give you four quick things that are dangers. And some of you thought I was going to quit. And when I said four things, your heart sank. (laughs) But I promise they'll be really, really quick. Number one, when we live life under God, it does not deliver us from fear. That's a great test. How often do you feel fear? Fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not. Greatest command in all the Bible occurs more than any other. Fear not. Do we live in fear? I don't know about you, but when I read the Bible, this is what it says. God wins. God wins. He wins. He just wins. He just wins. It doesn't matter. Well, what if the world blew up? He still won. But, 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 but what if I died? He still won. But what if the, he still won? There is no scenario in the Bible, number one, that's not in there. Isn't that crazy? If I was going to write a Bible, I would clean this thing up. There is way too many problems going on in there. Way too many people with issues in there. That's a mess right there. There are human beings in there, and that book just drips of human beings. <laughs> Amen? I, I did a memorial service yesterday, and I, I was sharing from John 14, you know, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me and my father. Isn't that beautiful? My father's house are many mansions, Lord, not so would have told you. If I go prepare a place, I'll come back and receive you unto myself. And Thomas says, we don't know where you're going. What are you talking about isn't it astonishing that that's in there (coughs) I would have edited Thomas out (laughs) and the disciples bowed their heads and said in grateful praise to Jesus thank you thank you thank you thank you except it's a book about real people and three verses later Thomas says why don't you just show us the father and then we'll believe Uh, it's Thursday night Three years later, I'm going to the cross. You don't get it yet? (laughs) Just human beings like us. (coughs) Fear. It doesn't alleviate fear, but the grace of God holds us. When do you feel the joy of the presence of God, that he's got this, that he's going to win, that we're going to win as we abide in him? And by the way, when I begin to think I got to get it all right and I got to figure it all out, God doesn't look at that. He looks at the condition of my heart. I'm not going to be deceived into failing God. I'm going to fail God because I decide to turn my heart somewhere else. When my heart is focused on him, I can rest in that. I can rest in that. John Wesley used to say, I'm going to fall. I just always want to fall facing God. (laughs) Not with my back to him. Not with my back to him. Number two, it can't connect us to God. How often do I... Am I willing to sit in space and quiet my heart and just let God speak where I don't need to have all the words? You know, Paul says, the writer of Hebrews says, we have a Holy Spirit who intercedes for us to the Father with groanings that can be uttered because we don't even know what we ought to pray for. Do you ever think about that? I mean, we don't even know. I got it all formulated because I need to know. (laughs) And then somewhere in there we're just like, "Uh, that's not what he means. I'm going to go ahead and intercede to the Father on your behalf with what you really need. It doesn't connect us with God. 
Number two, it weighs down our hearts. It weighs down our hearts. My prayer for you in this Christmas season is that you accept what it is. God so loved the world, he sent his son to be with you, in it with you. I still have a mentality. I don't know where it came from. I'm going to clean up my life, and then I'm going to invite Jesus over. Anybody else? (laughs) I'm going to get that fixed up, and then I'll talk to Jesus about it. (laughs) Instead of, I have no hope of cleaning it up unless you get in here with me. God with me means I came to get into the messiness. I came to get into the places you hurt. I came to get into the things that don't work. I came to help you resolve all of that. Let me in. 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 Number four, it inspires hypocrisy. Anytime we start to focus on that outward thing as evidence that God's blessing us, we have a tendency to start dressing up our outsides. That's why social media is so wonderful. Amen? Because I don't know, do you ever look at social media and go, wow, these people are having a great life. They are having a great life. Look at that. But we all know that underneath those photos is life. And when our insides are looking at other people's outsides, we have a tendency to get discouraged. And all Jesus ever said was, listen, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you in your story. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to help make your story whole from the inside out. I'm going to help you be a fully integrated human being. I'm going to get your brain and your heart and your spirit and and all of it working together in a way that you feel peace and joy. Come to me. All you who are weary and heavy burdened, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I'm meek and lowly in heart and you will find rest unto your soul. Because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray. God, we're inviting you in this season to allow us just five minutes a day to seek you, to ask you, to simply say, God, where am I living life under God? Where my relationship is more fear-based, it's more about appeasing you than, than being in a loving relationship. I know you desire righteousness. I, I know you want me to bear the fruits of righteousness. I know my choices matter. But I know that the fruits of righteousness grow because I am connected to the vine. And I pray that you'd release me from a mentality of life from God our life over God and certainly from life under God. I pray that you'd prepare me to celebrate life with God. So as I journey into this week, I'm going to take some time and I'm going to have a piece of paper to write some things down because of all the ways that Satan works in my life, he steals insights that I know are important. Five minutes later, I can't remember them. Or I can't feel them the same way as when the Holy Spirit was making me feel the tenderness. So we're going to quiet ourselves in a busy week. And we're going to seek you and we're going to invite you to be with us. And as we close this service, we're going to ask you to hear the response of our heart. 
we give you thanks for the season and for what it means and that your yoke is easy and your burden is light and we can find rest unto our souls. We pray in Jesus' name and everybody said together, Amen. Amen. Will you stand as we respond to the word? Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.